Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, Episode 17, Orion. I'm Gary Jordan, and I'll be your host today. So this is the podcast where we bring in the experts, NASA scientists, engineers, astronauts, all to let you know all the coolest information about NASA. So today we're talking about the Orion spacecraft with Najun Morancy. She's the mission planning and analysis lead here at the NASA Johnson Space Center in Houston, Texas, for the Orion spacecraft. And we had a great discussion about Orion, what it is, how it will work, and where it's in space it will bring humans to explore. So with no further delay, let's go light speed and jump right ahead to our talk with Mrs. Najun Morancy. Enjoy. Minus five seconds and counting. Mark. Launch commit light circle the red. There she goes. Houston, we have a podcast. Okay, well, Najud, thanks for taking the time to come on the podcast. Honestly, kind of surprised that we haven't done an Orion episode so far. I mean, we've we've hinted at it, but we really haven't gotten down and like said, you know, what is Orion? So thanks for coming on today. Uh, you're welcome. Glad to be here. Absolutely. So honestly, that's kind of what I wanted to do today is just kind of hone in, you know, what is Orion, the general overview. So let's just start with that. If you can, if you could describe it in a nice kind of overarching bird's eye view, what is Orion? Orion is supposed to be America's next uh, crew vehicle for beyond low Earth orbit. Okay. So really the point is to return to exploration, which we really haven't done since Apollo days, right? Mm. You know, we had this... The, sh the space shuttle and the space station, and they're doing amazing science and research, but they stayed in low Earth orbit. So right. to actually get out of low Earth orbit is a challenge we haven't had in 40 years, and that's where Orion and the Space Launch System rocket comes in. All right. Okay, so yeah, we could talk a little bit about both, but Orion is the spacecraft. That's the one that's actually going to carry the right. people. Orion right? has the people. Yes. We're, we're in, of course, I'm Orion, so we're the most important, of course. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's just focus on the most important part then, right? Let's focus on Orion. So... I mean, what does it look like? What could, if, if you know you had no idea what Orion looked like, how would you kind of describe it? Uh, so Orion's got several pieces, so uh, each one is a little different, right? Okay. When you stack it all together, we have a, a launch abort tower on top. So that's only there for the first part of ascent. Okay. Um, and so, but we get rid of that once we're we're higher enough up in the atmosphere that we don't need it. So, but when you get down to it, what the pieces that will actually fly in space look like mm. is a capsule shape, very similar to Apollo. We're actually using the same angle on the back shell that Apollo did. Oh wow! And that's because physics don't change, so the reentry aerodynamics <laughs> are are the same regardless of what decade it is. Yeah. And then there's the service module, which is really a barrel structure on the back end with four solar arrays hanging off the sides. So that's the, the real heart of Orion that does the mission in deep space. Okay, yeah, I'm imagining a, a capsule with a barrel attached yeah, right now. <laughs> but definitely, I mean, if you if you honestly, uh, if you're listening and you don't know what it looks like, definitely look it up. It's 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 pretty cool. And you, you have a, a lot of different models of Orion, right? Because there's like, you know, there's the one that's going to fly, but then you're using a bunch of different ones for testing, right? Yeah, of course. So, so everything we do, we have to test before we fly it. Sure. So we go through a whole bunch of different pieces, right? So we've built a structural test article, which they do uh. vibration testing and acoustic testing on, and they put loads on it to make sure there's no stresses that we weren't calculating, because you have to prove that the structure we built is strong enough to survive. So right. you have to validate all of the analysis and design you did. And then there's ones we use for drop tests. There's uh, flight test versions. There's um, ones we drop in the ocean that the crew gets out of. There's a mock-up in Building 9 here at JSC, which is the interior is all accurate so that oh. the astronauts could be trained in there yeah. and the designers can see where things lay out because it's a lot different being there and putting your hands on it than it is to just have a CAD model on a computer screen. Definitely. Um, so you can't make, you got to make sure your uh, vent doesn't go where your hand controller is and stuff like that. Yeah. So and that we have lots of different versions of Orion, really. <laughs> and I feel like that one, the mock-up version would be good just for ergonomics, right? Just if see where things are pointing and you're right you know you can you, you can do a computer simulation but once you sit down a human in there you really can find a lot of stuff out right and, and we really do the astronauts yeah. come in and do testing with us they we put a suit on them they get in the seats and then they actually tell us where the hand controller needs to be so they can reach it while they're seated during launch because oh. you know you could calculate the length of someone's arm but you don't really know how comfortable that is for a variety of people right so the, the point of having a mock-up is the astronauts themselves get to have input on the design for where things go 
Ah, okay. So honing in on that just a little bit, I mean, that's uh, just because it's a NASA Johnson Space Center thing. We have a facility here, Building 9, right? The Space Vehicle Mock-Up Facility. And we yep. have something very similar on the International Space Station, right? Mock-ups of, you know, one-to-one -one scale versions of what you would find on the International Space Station, but it kind of gives you a, a lay of the land in a way. Yeah, it's, a, it's the same concept been been used for decades. And Building yeah. 9 has, it sort of evolves with the programs. I mean, I think they did Apollo work in it way back in the day, and then yeah. it had a space shuttle, and now it has ISS and Orion and the commercial crew vehicles all in there. So it's kind of a cool facility. It's like a playground for spaceships. <laughs> and But yeah, but that's where the astronauts and everyone can get in and really see what's going on. Yeah. And so for Orion, there's, I mean, that's a lot of different types and they all serve a different purpose. So are, are is, there, is there so many because there's just different things that you have to pay attention to? Are, are you doing multiple tests in different locations? Like what's the logic behind having so many test articles? Well, the different test articles are really built for that specific function, right? Ah, like see. we don't need to build a complete Orion. That would be very expensive. So yeah. you build one that's structurally accurate and you go do all the structures testing on yeah. it, but you don't mount all the avionics and computers and things like that in it. They don't need to be there for that kind of testing. Exactly. And then it. when we build the one in building nine, we don't really build the right shell because that's really expensive. So you build basically a plastic and we use 3D printed parts to represent that shell, but you really want the inside to be accurate and it doesn't have to be functional, but you need the box the right shape, for yeah. example. So we use different ones because first off, you need to do a lot of that testing in parallel. Mm -hmm. We can't just build one and have it move from facility to facility, but you build each mock-up or uh, test V article so it's purpose for that and we can have a lot of things going on at once and there is a lot of things going on at once sounds like it yes. absolutely so i mean is there is there a version right now that exists that has all the different parts together uh no but okay, we're the building testing. the real uh exploration mission one orion is already under construction at the operations and checkout building at the kennedy space center all right so the real orion crew module is already there and i think part of the crew module adapter is there um so they're actually starting to put the real pieces together and that the only complete vehicle will be the one you fly. All right, yeah. So that's, that one's going to be for, I mean, it's another test, but really it's it's complete, right? So EM-1, right. I mean, we can skip around. I know we have like kind of a, a model of how we want to have this go, but <laughs> I mean, EM-1, what is that? That's a, that's another flight test, right? Yeah, so Exploration Mission 1 really kind of is the ultimate flight test. It All has right. everything but the people. Ah. And some of the equipment the crew needs, right? We're not okay. putting the complete life support system on because the crew isn't on there. Sure. But the rest of the vehicle, for all intents and purposes, is complete. So that is the ultimate flight test. So, right, even though we're doing all this testing on the ground, we've still got one giant test to do in space because <laughs> things don't always work in space like they do on the ground. So we do have to really finish the testing in space before we put crew on. So Exploration Mission 1 is that first uncrewed flight test before we give it the thumbs up to put people on. There you go. And you have all the different tests that coming together, right? So you have all that vibration <laughs> testing, uh, the structural test, all the ones you were hinting at, the the interior, whatever, all jam-packed into this one, you know, everything works, here it is, yep. mission. So except except the people, obviously. Right. So. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and it's a model used across all sorts of programs, right? Aerospace industry, other spacecraft, everyone has to do testing before you're ready to put people on something. Yeah. Okay. And uh, the mission profile, we can get into it later in the podcast too, but the mission profile of that is what? Where is it going to go? So we're intending to send Exploration Mission 1 out to the moon, to the um, moon. in what's called a distant retrograde orbit. So okay. uh, distant meaning we're really high up from the moon, from so a high altitude orbit around the moon. Oh, okay. And retrograde means you actually orbit opposite the direction the moon is going. So oh, if you okay. looked at the moon from the north pole of Earth, it's moving counterclockwise. Oh. And our orbit around the moon is moving clockwise. clockwise yep. So that's the retrograde. Um, <laughs> so that's the distant retrograde orbit. It's a very stable orbit. It doesn't require a lot of prop, uh, propulsion to get mm. into and out of. Um, and so that's why we're just using it. It's a good stand-in to do testing mm. and have a, a have a steady state condition to make sure we're, we're testing everything out. So yeah. that's our destination. But the whole mission should be between 26 and 42 days long. So we have lots of time to test things out. And then when we come back to Earth, we're going to do a 25,000 mile per hour reentry and do the entire entry with all the heat shield and everything that you need to confirm it's working and all our models were right before the crew flies. Oh, wow. Okay. So, I mean, I'm thinking when you were talking about that mission profile, the one that came to mind was Apollo 8. That one had people on it, right? Cause, it did. Cause, but it went around the moon 
and then came back, but it didn't land on the moon. Right. Apollo 8 didn't land on the moon. So all of the Apollo missions, they had a very defined target, land on the moon. So if you go back through all the Apollo missions that led up to it, each one achieved another objective toward the moon landing. Yes, um, all stepping stones. And yeah. Apollo 8 was the first demonstration of actually sending a vehicle from Earth to the moon and proving that could be done. Right. So it had people on board. They right. didn't have as much advanced computers and communications that we have now. So they right. could not have achieved that mission without people on board. Oh, yeah. We can now with computers. So that's why uh, we can do this as an uncrewed demonstration before we put people on. Okay. So is it is it similar? Is it like, um, I, I, I don't know the exact details, but did Apollo 8 also do a retrograde orbit? Uh, so Apollo 8, yes, it was retrograde, but okay. they did go down to a low lunar orbit. So, so they were within 100 kilometers of the surface. Yeah. And and we'll fly by at 100 kilometers from the surface just when we're doing a powered flyby, but we're not going into a low orbit like that. So, we're yeah, this is a bigger, it's kind of elliptical too, right? It's going to go way out past the moon? Yeah, it's 70,000 kilometers on the far side of the moon. Yeah. So we're way past where any of the Apollo missions went. Right. Um, and that's because we're working towards a, a gateway architecture in the future of, mm you know, a staging ground for development of Mars missions and things like that. So it's a, right. it's a different purpose than actually an objective to land on the moon. But it's kind of the same thing in, in Apollo 8 where, you know, before you can land on the moon, before you can get to your deep space, you know, your, your objective, you need to make sure that... Uh, everything works first so it's just a, right. it's another test awesome. yeah and, and apollo had multiple flights in low earth orbit before they even went and did apollo 8 so oh. um they had yeah. several uncrewed flights and then apollo 7 was actually the first crewed flight and it stayed in low earth orbit yeah um before apollo 8 so they right. they got to have lots of test flights and so we're relying on a little bit leaner of a test flight strategy because we can do more ground testing um, right now yeah and the, like you said you know we have the technology where we can collect the data we need without you know so yeah, so, I mean, Apollo's computers were something like, you know, less power than those old calculator watches, right? <laughs> right. So there was only so much they could do. That was, they really invented computers and micro processors yeah. and stuff like that weren't really around yet so right. now we've got super advanced computers we can automate a lot of stuff in software that you could have never done um, in the Apollo days so we are actually automating a lot of the vehicle and software right. so that critical actions like burns can be done without ground intervention Oh, because some of those burns happen on the far side of the moon where you have no contact with earth Right. You so we've got to be able to have that software on board the vehicle whereas for Apollo those were literally manually conducted burns where the astronauts were triggered the engines and stuff so I mean that's one example of why we can do that without people now and they could not have done that on Apollo (laughs) yeah exactly so I mean going back to um going back to Orion you know we we started talking about the whole overall view of it and kind of how it's structured and shaped um let's you know kind of go inside for a second how many people can go in Orion so we can take up to four people that's what our design is for um but uh Apollo did three but mm. we've got way more room still inside for the crew because with the advances in um, structure, right? So we can use carbon fiber structure ah. and our computers are obviously much smaller than they were in the 60s. So yeah. space-wise, the crew has a lot of room to move around. You can actually stand full height if you're standing on the, the back plane um, where the lockers are in the docking tunnel. So you can stand up in Orion. Wow. And in Apollo, you really only sort of had three beds Uh, or chairs where they got into when they launched and that your space was basically arm's reach between your back and the control panel. So we've got a little bit more comfortable of a ride for the crew, but uh, it'll still be a long haul on a long mission. Is that the logic behind the design too? Is it it for comfort or is there other stuff that you're trying to put in there? Because now you have smaller computers, more space, more people. You know, what else, what's the logic behind it? Uh, It's not so much uh, comfort, but uh, to support a little bit longer mission. So we should be able to do 21 days for crew for 21 days in just Orion. Wow. So when you think about how much food and clothing and personal hygiene space you need for stuff like days, that, yeah. um, there's actually rules that NASA has about how much volume per crew member you need. So yeah. we're meeting those requirements. So for a three-week mission, you need a little bit more volume if mm-hmm. that's the only space you have to move around in. So we're meeting those requirements. It's not like we're designing for comfort. <laughs> we're designing to achieve exploration goals and making sure humans are comfortable and can achieve the mission safely. 
I think having a lot of space, a lot of extra leg room, and enough food for the whole mission, I yeah. think is pretty much, you know, that's all comfort. Kind of important to be able to eat. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, yeah. Um, okay, so so we're talking about 21-day missions. We're talking about going outside the moon. Is this, can this be a low-Earth orbit vehicle, or is it is that not part of the, the vehicle? Like, can it go to the International Space Station? So when Orion was first conceived, it was supposed to be able to do both. Oh, okay. ISS and lunar orbit. But um, we've since moved moved on past that we are now trying to do the commercial crew program to really go to ISS yeah and it's really kind of having vehicles designed for different purposes right mm-hmm. you can drive to work in your giant 4x4 pickup with a camper and stuff like that and that's like Orion right <laughs> right big camping trip lots of supplies things like that you could go to the ISS in it, but it's not a good use of the vehicle, right? Uh, We're yeah. trying to do the exploration objectives. We've got a lot more stuff and a lot more <laughs> capability, and it's better to use it for exploration. And then the commercial crew can design for the specific vehicle. It's like your Civic you drive to work in. You know, you only need a car to get to the space station. You need a big truck with all your camping supplies to do exploration. So so there's a really a, a purpose difference. Um, so yes, you could go to ISS with it, but that's not really what we're trying to do. I love that analogy. You, by the way, I mean, as much as I would love to take a Class A trailer to work every day, right. but <laughs> that would be pretty awesome. It would be a total waste of time and money right. and resources. It's a so little bit I, of overkill for the mission you're trying to do. Exactly, that's a perfect way of describing it. Um, so, I mean, you're talking about an RV, a camper, pretty <laughs> much, but a space version that's going to go way out. So yep. you're going to be going on these big space camping trips. You need a lot of food and stuff. Um, is it going to be similar to international? Space Station food, or are you are you designing, are you designing a sort of in you know I, I don't know how to describe it, but uh, uh, is it going to be different from International Space Station? Or are you taking some of those lessons? Uh, I think they're using a lot of the same foods from the space station. I mean, the crew they've done a lot of testing on what they get at Space Station. Now hmm. for Orion, we're a lot more space constrained and mass constrained because whatever we put on, every pound you put on the vehicle, you got to send that to the moon. So that's oh, more yeah. prop, more resources, more space. So right. um, I think they've done a lot more advanced work on energy bars, basically. So <laughs> yeah. uh, compact, you know, there's like seven or eight hundred calories in a bar. Wow. That's a whole meal replacement. Now I can fit that in Orion. So at least once a day, I think they'll have these energy bars versus a whole meal with the, even the, the freeze dried food they'll still have. But we are trying to condense down a little bit of what we can take because we have to fit it in a smaller vehicle. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, but the, the food sciences are still doing a lot of work and we're, we're building off of what ISS had. Yeah. But I mean, it's that whole idea of mass is money. So you got, you know, you got a certain amount of weight that you have to plan for. So, you know, you got to make sure that <laughs> their meals are really tiny and don't take up yeah. a lot of space, but are jam packed full of calories and can really meet those, those caloric needs that the astronauts need. Yeah. And then getting out of low earth orbit and getting to the moon, I think you need like 10 times the amount of prop uh, and to, to do that, right? You, yeah. you need so much prep to get a low Earth orbit, and then you need like 10 times that amount to leave low Earth orbit. So it's it has a multiplying effect <laughs> for every pound you add. So one yeah. pound getting it to ISS is easy, quote unquote, and but you need that much more for every pound you send to the moon. Right, so. yeah, I like that quote unquote, because, you know, <laughs> going to space is not an easy thing, no, but absolutely now, not. now you're playing planning for things that have this tenfold factor, so it's right. pretty crazy. Um, so, I mean, what about, you know, going back inside, you said they have plenty of room to sleep and stuff. What about, is, is um, exercise a concern? Because I know, I know exercise, they, they have to do it almost, you know, two, two and a half hours a day on the space station. Are they going to have something similar for these 21-day missions? So we do have to fit in an exercise device. Um, we're really trying to get them to give us a very compact exercise device because ah. you've got room, but you're still, you're going to be trying to do exercise with three people around you in a small cabin. Yeah. Um, trying to do a pull-up and you'd be smacking your co-crew member in the face, right? You know, (laughs) so we're trying to work on a a compact exercise device um, and they have ways to do that. Uh, You really need a lot of exercise equipment when you're doing long duration missions, like on ISS. So six months, they've got the treadmill, they've got um, this thing called the RED or IRED, which is like a weightlifting device. So mm. when you're doing long missions, you need a lot of exercise equipment. That stuff doesn't fit in Orion. Yeah. You need some short-term, smaller, compact exercise equipment in Orion. And then if you build a gateway around the moon, kind of like a little mini station, mm-hmm. then you need to put your big exercise equipment on that for a longer mission. Ah. Okay. So we've all got to sort of do our part yeah. um, and our piece. So. Yeah. 
So, I mean, uh, 21 days is a little bit short of remission. I know that um, they have these exercise requirements on the International Space Station because there's some certain things that happen in the body over a six-month time. Is there things that you know of that happens to the body in a 21-day time? And, and I'm sure you're planning for that in your exercise equipment, but, you know, what, what does that look like for the human body in space? Yeah, so uh, I know from the, the surgeons and the medical doctors, you know, they see a degradation in the human bodies even over just two to three weeks. Oh, so, wow. So even over a short time frame, like, say, the shuttle flights, same thing. The yeah. crew was still doing exercise even right. though the mission was only a couple weeks long, so they didn't come back deconditioned. Um, with muscle <laughs> loss and things like that. Yeah. So we've still got to do that. Um, so the UC uh, deconditioning in the human body within you know a week of being in orbit. So mm -hmm. you can't let it go and ignore it, but we don't have to do as much as a six-month mission. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, so you, you talked about it being sort of like a space camper, space RV. Uh, that's a great way to describe a vehicle that's, that's meant for, like you said, the mission, for going out into deep space. What else about Orion makes it makes it a good vehicle for those type of missions, for deep space missions. So one of the things with Orion, um, it's very hard to do, but we're trying to, is to make it capable of a lot of different orbits oh. or destinations or mission uh, timelines, right? So we need to be able to handle the DRO. We're looking at other kinds of orbits. Um, so whatever crops up in the future, Orion can support. So we're trying to build in some flexibility. Oh. And then the other key piece of Orion is to be able to abort and come home. So ah. if you have a problem, we need to turn around and get the crew back and do that within a few days. Um, when you come back from the space station, if there was an emergency, it's a matter of hours. It's like, you know, one to three hours and you can be on the ground. So it's not like uh, a true emergency, you've got to have tons of supplies. But the fastest you can get home from the moon is three to five days. Okay. So you have to have, in an emergency, still have the supplies on board, the vehicle capable of, if you, say, lose an oxygen tank, you've got to have another one oh. to survive the multiple day trip home. So that's the kind of challenges is, you know, we need to be able to get out there and then we also need to be able to safely come home. Wow. So it's redundancy, but then, you know, you already hinted at before that, you know, mass is money. So, and, right. and you, you only have a certain amount of mass. Now you have to build in these redundancies. Now the things that you can put on the vehicle are restricted. I can see how this can really spiral all these challenges. Yeah. It is. It's a big snowball effect. Right. It's how many emergencies do you protect for? What are all the different scenarios we can think of that you need to cover for? And then at some point you have to just realize there's risk. Yeah. Well, it's a risky thing to do to send people to the moon. And at some point you have to draw the line and say, okay, these are the risks that we have to take to do this at all. Yeah. You have to accept the risk because you're right. This is, this is new. That's the whole part of exploring, right? Mm -hmm. Is is you're trying to fit, you know, there's only so much you can just plan for because you have to be in discovery mode too. Right. So, yeah. So we try to build in redundancies to cover for a variety of causes. Yeah. Um, but at some point you're you're done. You, you can't put five oxygen tanks on board just right. in case, right? Yeah. We've got to make sure we know what we're designing for and, and try to cover the situations we can plan for. Yeah. So you, you hinted that before that it's, it's comparable to the Apollo capsule. So mm -hmm. how is it? How is it similar? How is it different? Uh, so similar, the shape. Obviously, yeah. you can look at it. We, we, you draw a lot from those lessons learned on Apollo. Uh, the shape of the capsule is the same. We both have the service module. Um, but then we've had a lot of advances in the structures and the computers and things like that. And then a few other things. Apollo used fuel cells, had a very short mission lifetime possible. Mm. As a result, we're using solar arrays, which will enable longer duration missions because once you go over a few weeks mission duration, the solar arrays will continue generating power. It's free energy from the sun. Yeah. So there's that's like another obvious difference in the two things. And then we're using things like we have a, it's called an encapsulated service module. We put fairings on to protect those solar arrays during launch because of the aerodynamics of the wind that would rip them off. Oh, yeah. Um, and so then we jettison the fairings on ascent. So Apollo didn't have that. They, their service module was the external structure. Right. Um, so there's a few other differences, right? We have a big um, launch abort tower on top. Apollo did as well. I think ours is we've designed it a little bit different. Mm -hmm. um, but all in all, it, it's still the, the shape is very much the same. Um, but, and we can do longer, right? The four people, 21 days. Apollo was three crew for like 14, um, stuff like that. Uh, and then we're designed to be able to dock with other things. So when we start building out a habitat or something, 
you can be out there for months at a time. Right. So once you have another habitat, then Orion with its solar arrays can just hang on and wait throughout a longer mission. So we're trying yeah. to d- build in a multi-month capability oh. in a quiescent state um, <laughs> so you can do long-duration missions out near the moon, and that is not something Apollo could have done. Yeah. See, I mean, if you if you were to just look at it, you'd be like, yeah, it's yeah, it's a big Apollo. But it's these little details that are really make it's or break. all the details. Yeah, for the mission. <laughs> I mean, if you don't have this sort of if, – if it doesn't jettison this thing right, it's not going to work. If it doesn't have this much power, it's not going to work. Yeah. So it's it, – you know, it's all these in these details that really make or break the mission. And it looks like just the capsule flying through space, but there's like a million things that have to happen for it to work successfully. Yeah, the, the change in what you're trying to do with it drives a lot of design decisions. I mean, yeah. that is the engineering process is you give yourself a goal and then all of a sudden you're down this rabbit trail of, well, if I want that, I have to do this differently. So right. the power system is a good example. If you want a long duration mission, you need arrays which don't require consumables. Fuel cells require hydrogen to feed them. And so you can only do missions of however much hydrogen you have on board for your fuel cell. If you have arrays, well, now I can do long missions. So that that drives all of your engineering design decisions when you make those sort of objectives. So in, in the beginning, when we talked about what is Orion, you, you kind of described the shape of it, what it looks like, and then you said there's this barrel behind it. They said the service module. What role does that play in all of this? So the service module is critical to Orion's deep space activity. So if you think about the crew module, that's got our computer. So that's the heart of the vehicle. It's the pressurized volume for the crew to stay in. And it's also the piece with the heat shield and the parachutes that land the crew safely. Mm-hmm. But on its own, it can only stay alive for a few hours because it's it's got the batteries, but that's only a couple hours worth of power in them. Mm-hmm. So with the service module, you have your main propulsion system. So that's how you're going to get home from the moon. Right. And Energy how you're going to control move. your flight to get there. Kind <laughs> yeah. of important. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it has all of the crew consumables, the oxygen, nitrogen, and water oh. tanks. So that's okay. feeding the crew module for the crew while you're up there. It's got the radiators. So there, the crew, the avionics, computers generate a lot of heat. So we wow. have to get rid of that because the crew needs a cabin that's comfortable. You can't have that in 100 degrees. Yeah. That would be horrible to work in, right? <laughs> so we have to air condition the cabin. We sure. have to get rid of all of that heat. So it runs through ammonia pipes on the radiators to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. And then you've got your power. Um, you've got your big or solar arrays out there. So there's all a sort of your main functions for your vehicle are built into the service module and a lot of those come from the european space agency right so we're partners with the europeans um they're building a huge part of orion um, and a very critical part right we can't (laughs) fly without the european space agency's part of the service module yeah absolutely because this is i mean is it fair to say deep space Deep space exploration is a multinational, international objective, and we're all kind of pulling our resources together to, to make it happen in a way. Yeah, I mean, I think we've had great partnerships. Yeah. Um, we've learned all the way from Apollo Soyuz to the International Space Station, and now looking to the future, we all kind of have this model of trying to work together because this is very hard, <laughs> it's very expensive, yeah. and ultimately it benefits all humanity. Yes. Um, so being partnership in doing it uh, is very much a key part of NASA's plans. Yeah, because all of these different things that we're learning along the way to, to meet this goal, we're kind of invent, not, sort of in a way inventing technologies, right? I know just James Webb invented a couple different technologies in order to make Gen- James Webb be James web but you know you have to come up with something and solve problems that you wouldn't otherwise solve in other situations but can be applied other places yeah i mean and one of the key ones going forward is when you're say going to mars you want a closed loop life support system yeah you want to recycle all the water and they're already doing this on the space station and so that's a key technology that's being developed for future missions and stuff so closed loop life control but now if you can preserve water that could be a key technology on earth for a water-starved region. So if you can improve on that technology, there's the opportunity to improve things on Earth because we've solved problems in space. Yeah. And engineers really need a challenge to figure (laughs) out how to solve problems, and there's a good one for people to work on. Now, going back to Apollo, I know for for them, they they brought all the water that they needed on their couple-day mission uh, to the moon and back, is is Orion going to have a recycling water process, or is it going to bring water? So Orion is uh, where... uh, not closed loop. So we're an open okay. loop system. We're bringing all the water you need for the 21 days. Okay. That includes hygiene. That includes 
drinking water and rehydrating the food they're eating. Okay, um, yeah. So all of those things, we're bringing the tanks full of water because we're designed for that 21 days of crew support. Right. When you're looking at a long duration around the moon and a habitat you put at the moon for a long duration, that habitat absolutely needs some closed-loop life control on Absolutely, yeah. So that's where we'll probably see the next generation of closed-loop life support systems is, is right. yeah, that. So, and, and that's it's closed-loop because water's a part of it, but then also I know, you know, environmental control, right? Like oxygen, that's part of it too, right? Right. So oxygen, uh, a lot of that, especially like say if you're trying to do EVAs, you want to save that air. You don't want to yeah. dump it overboard when you're doing EVAs. So there's a lot of technologies that have been improved on the space station and continue to be approved in a lunar environment yeah. um, to continue enabling longer, even more and more ambitious space exploration in the future. Absolutely. Um, so kind of let's kind of go back inside the uh the orion and see and kind of point out the different features the the what what's cool what's upgraded and 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 what kind of technologies are being brought to the table i know you said it's there's a lot of space but the computers are are smaller right so so is it what kind of computers do you have on on orion uh, so we're using Honeywell computers, and okay. I actually think they're the same types used on uh, Boeing 787 aircraft. Oh, so cool. these are avionics, high-technology uh, avionics, yeah. uh, more state-of-the-art, uh, and we're running there's four computers, and they actually all run in parallel because if one fails, you don't want to the spacecraft to go, I don't know what to do. So uh, all the four of them run in parallel, and we do that for a lot of reasons. Number one, time critical things. If one goes down, you have three others already working, and they're checking each other to make sure if one has an interrupt and produces bad data, you don't use it. Yeah. So all of them are running in parallel on the same data and checking each other to make sure it's all right. Cool. Um, and then there's other things. There's lots of radiation in space. So, oh, yeah. you know, computers and avionics don't like radiation. You can They get hardened to protect them, but you can get single event upsets, which basically changes a bit from a zero to a one. Well, you change a bit from a zero to a one and you get a completely different answer in the algorithm. Oh no. So we put four on there to protect for the likelihood of, you know, two even getting interrupts in yeah. here. Cause you can get one with an interrupt and then very shortly after have another one. So, you know, we run four cause we've done the risk calculations and we mm -hmm. think with four, we've, you know, bought down that risk as much as you can do without, you know, you can put a hundred computers on there, but it's still technically possible to have them all go down at once. Yeah. Right. You can never completely get rid of the risk. So do you have some sort of radiation protection technology kind of built into Orion? Um, so the avionics are, are called rad hard, radiation hardened to protect them. Cool. Um, but the important part is the crew. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> so most of the time they're getting, you know, background radiation. And uh. when you're outside the magnetosphere of the Earth, they're getting much higher doses of radiation. Oh, so yeah. a few weeks um, in space at the moon is equivalent to six months on the ISS. So you see a lot of big radiation differences because you have to actually transit the Van Allen radiation belts to get to the moon. Right. Um, but then you have your big worries are solar flares from the sun, oh, which yeah. send a huge amount of radiation over a short period of time. Mm -hmm. So if that happens, they actually have uh, shelter procedures in place where they'll empty out the lockers inside Orion the crew will get down in those lockers and put as much stuff around them as you can. So all of their clothes or bags of water or whatever will get packed around them so that you basically create a, a, a little habitat, a little shelter in the middle of Orion. Because the more stuff, the more structure you can put between you and the outside, the less radiation will get through in those events. Right. So, so we actually have procedures. They have to demonstrate that it works. They just recently did that testing, actually, in Building 9 Oh, cool. Um, in our mock-up. So that's one example of how the testing happens. So they can actually shove the crew they had to make sure you could fit the crew yeah they can be semi-comfortable for you know whatever length of time is required and have their computer to keep working and stuff like that and commanding the vehicle in there and stuff like that so they've you know we have to protect the crew so that's another thing we can do is you literally just put them in a little pocket they build a little fort and <laughs> hang out while a solar particle event is going on yeah so how how you know about those events obviously you're planning for it it's part of your mission you just did a test for it what is the procedure for you know how long do you have from when you detect it to when you communicate it to the crew and they have to get into this mode and then you know how long do the events last and they have to stay there so uh, I mean the good or the bad thing right so when the Sun has a solar particle event you see the solar flare, the light, so that travels at light speed. So it's, you know, oh. seconds or minutes from the time the event happens on the 
sun till we see it yeah. on Earth. But the actual particles travel much slower. So you ah. have a day or two um, before the particles get to the Earth-Moon system. Oh, that's a decent amount of time. Yeah, so you can see this happen. And we have satellites that are detecting that. Same thing they use for the space station to detect when some of these things are happening. Yeah. So you see the event happening and you have a day or two to prepare the crew or get in their, their habitat and stuff. And I think it's about a day long where these particles can be passing through. Wow. So, you know, that's the, the type of, you get an advance warning and yeah. then you have, you know, about a day they're going to be hanging out in their little shelter um, until the, the the levels have decreased enough to get back out again. Right. I, you know, I, I wouldn't have thought of that. Just, you know, if, if you can detect it in a few minutes, then, you know, I, I would think, oh man, they have no time to prepare for this. But right. I feel like that's, that's a way better situation. And especially you have the procedures to, to kind of go through that too. Yeah. Luckily we're far enough from the sun that we have that sort of advanced warning time. Yeah. And it's not as hot. Definitely. <laughs> um, so, you know, when I imagine the future of space technology, I'm imagining like, you know, a futuristic like interstellar or something kind of kind of movie with with all kinds of fancy technologies. I know uh, talking with some folks, you know, uh, touch screens were were considered, I guess, but there's some challenges with touch screens. Is, is Orion using something like that, or is, is the challenges too much and they're using something else? Uh, so we're not using touch screens. Okay. That was, a, I think, a trade early on in the design. Crew had a lot of input in it, but mm -hmm. I think one of the reasons not to do it is because especially when there's a lot of dynamic motion going on, Yeah. you're trying to, in a, you know, you're suited, you've got a glove on, you're trying <laughs> to push a button on a screen, but your hand's shaking because there's a lot of vibration. So I think that this, that was one of the leading factors to decide not to. Right. So we're using computer screens and they've got edge switches. So oh. there's actually physical buttons around the outside of the screen, similar yeah. to what you can find in airplane cockpits. Okay. So we can change the software. So, you know, it'll put data beside it and you can say, so for one screen, the button might do this. So they have commands they can input with those buttons, but mm -hmm. it's actually a physical button they push. So yeah. that way, you know, you're getting the right input yeah. versus a shaky hand trying to, to hit a touch screen button. Yeah, so that was one of the big challenges that was decided early. So we, we have edge switches and, and little swizzles, so little toggles, so they can move the cursor around on the screen. Oh, wow. So it's a little bit more tactical feedback. So especially in, in a vibrating environment, they can you know, control the computer a little bit more precisely. Have you tested like that, uh, something like that, where you put them in an environment where they're vibrating, you know, as if they were in a launch or some other kind of event during the mission, and you need to be pressing buttons and certain cues? I think that's actually been done already. So oh, okay. uh, our mock-up in Building 9, the screens work. Um, oh, cool. So those are already working. They can test out. They have a whole team doing the displays for the crew. So it's very important to make sure they have the right information on the screen, yeah. all the information they need to make decisions, and then have all the commands in a procedure format so they can right. very, you know, without having to think about it, follow what needs to be done. Because in an emergency, you don't have time to flip through a bunch of screens to find the button and commands you want. Gotta be fast, right? So they've got it all. They've got a whole team building the displays. I think they've actually put the crew on a shaker table and <laughs> yeah. had them do this, but uh, if they haven't, they will be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but making sure that the crew can execute the procedures and have the right displays in front of them to know what to do uh, is a very important part of the vehicle design. Right, yeah, you wouldn't be thinking about that if you weren't like if you were just like oh just put touch screens on orion and it's just like no there's there's a lot of challenges there's they're going to be vibrating they have to make sure the buttons work you yeah know, so i mean that's what the engineers do is have to think through all the problems and get the input of the crew and make sure we're putting through the not the best solution ever but an acceptable solution right that meets all of the competing needs right yeah. touch screens may be nice in some situations but in others, not so much. So what's the acceptable solution that balances all of those factors? Right. So I know when it comes to Orion, I mean, one of the big challenges just of the mission itself is that it's a it's a fairly large spacecraft, right? It's bigger than it's bigger than Apollo, and it's going to go so far out that when it comes back to Earth, it's going to be coming in pretty hot, right? It's going to be coming fast. So the, one of the big technologies for this whole thing is a heat shield, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we're coming in, when you return from the Earth-Moon system, it's not just Orion, it's any spacecraft you send out to the moon. Okay. We'll come back and you'll re-enter, you'll hit entry interface when you actually hit the atmosphere mm -hmm. of the Earth, or not hit, but gently <laughs> enter the atmosphere of the Earth. Yes. You're going around 25,000 miles per hour, Whew. which is 11 kilometers per second. So right, you're fast. really cruising. Yeah. Um, and so when you do that, it's actually the atmosphere is helping you because we're using the atmosphere to slow down. Okay. So we use 
use that blunt capsule shape as arrow braking. So the we're letting the air slow us down, but in doing that, it's creating heat. Yeah. So all of that friction, basically, and the shock wave of that, you're turning the air into plasma. Oh. And so the plasma you're creating is incredibly hot. Yeah. So our heat shield can get up to around 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, man. So we're talking a lot of heat. So on Orion, we're using Avcoat, which is the same material Apollo used. So again, there's another similarity. Cool. Um, and But that's like really the only use for Avcoat. So after Apollo, they didn't manufacture it. And a company called Textron makes it. Yeah. So they had to go figure out how to make it again for Orion. <laughs> so we're using an Avcoat heat shield like Apollo. Um, one of the mods or modifications we've done for Exploration Mission 1 is we're actually using a block application system. So it's like big bricks of a heat shield that have been patched together versus what's called a monolith where you make it all out of one piece. Yeah. And we had reasons for doing that, thermal stresses and stuff like that. Um, But that's one of the big things we're testing out on Exploration Mission 1 is the new design of the heat shield, which is a, a block system. So if you look at it, it looks like a bunch of bricks that have been put together on our heat shield. Yeah, instead of one solid piece. Is right. it is it kind of the same logic as the shuttle? Because shuttle also had the little is it tiles or blocks, and yeah. it, the whole concept was if one of them's not good, you just pop, take it up and pop in another one? So, so we, we don't reuse ours. So oh, okay. um, the, the concept of the blocks is because uh, when it gets cold in space, it actually creates a stress and could crack it. Oh. So one of the reasons is actually going to the block is so that we are more safe after it's been exposed in space that we don't develop cracks that weren't there before we launched. Right. So that's one of the reasons we went to the block. Um, You mentioned the shuttle tiles. So we actually used the same thing as the shuttle. Oh, cool. So the shuttle had tiles on its belly. Yeah. um, But those can only get up to around 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, yeah. Um, So we're using those on the back shell. So the conic part uh, of the vehicle is covered in the same tiles like the space shuttle were. Oh, wow. Um, and then we've got a tape over them so you won't really see them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we're using the same tile material, ceramic tiles that the shuttle had on the back shell, but it's not, they're not enough heat rejection or heat protection to use on the heat shield. So we have to use the Avcoat on the heat shield like Apollo did. Yeah, because there's that much of a temperature difference, right? Like that's getting, yeah. your, like you said, the brunt force. So that's like, that's your 5,000 degrees, but on the other side, you don't have to worry about it. Yeah, that so they're basically, the, the back shell is in the, the leeward side. So yeah. it's protected, the heat's sort of going around it. So it doesn't see, get nearly as hot as the heat shield does. Wow. So, but they're a lot lighter. So once again, the reason you Uh, use the two different things is because we're trying to save mass. So on the back show, we can use the tiles. The ceramic tiles are super light. It's kind of amazing how light those things are. Yeah. So we cover the back shell in those, but we have Avcoat's a lot heavier, so we use that on the heat shield. Oh, okay. But the heat shield itself is only about two inches thick. (laughs) So we're doing a lot in two inches on that Avcoat. Yeah, that is some strong stuff for two inches. Yeah, you're not, you're not, no layers peeling away there, right? Actually, it does. Uh, Avcoat is ablative, so. So the way you reject the heat is it burns away as you're re-entering. Whoa. So we're going to lose about half an inch worth of Avcoat as you re-enter. Um, you have to have enough there that we've protected for how much could burn away yeah. and still have protection and things like that. But the Avcoat does get thinner as you're coming in through entry. Yeah. Is it sort of a one and done kind of technology then? Is it like you use the heat shield and then, okay, that's good for that mission. Take it off, put it on a new heat shield. Yeah, the heat shield absolutely is not reusable. So we're not going to try to reuse that, especially now you've dunked it in the ocean. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So a lot of things don't like salt water. Yeah. So you won't want to reuse the heat shield. Um, Right. It had its day. Uh, (laughs) And and you you build a new one. Right. And it's been through some stuff. So, you know, let it, it, (laughs) just let it go, put on a new one. We'll with it later there's a lot of other good technologies on there too i mean um is is there anything like even the seats that you're revisiting or are you are you doing something different there uh so the seats uh are our new design apollo used oh. actually these sort of canvas beds to save mass hmm. um we're using the aluminum structure okay. uh, thinned out and stuff but they're adjustables for different size people cool right so you can hit fit all the way from like a fifth percentile woman to a 95th percentile male so All right. you can fit quite the range of people inside the vehicle yeah. um and so but the seats are aluminum for launch they've got leg rests and stuff you the crew like everything you launch on your back mm. so you're taking the g-forces in the chest of ascent um, but then that you can move the leg panels and stuff like that after you get on orbit to give yourself more room so you don't have these foot panels sticking uh. up in this space um so yeah so the seats are a new design but cool. there's nothing revolutionary about them. <laughs> They're just, I mean, it just sounds like it's built to be flexible for different sizes and to be as 
comfortable as possible. So yeah. when you're launching and you're having a lot of G-forces on your chest, you're at least, you know, you're, you're going to be in good shape pretty right. much. Yeah, you're not going to be tossing and turning all over the place. Um, so they're going to be, are they going to be wearing the, what's the suit they're going to be wearing? Is it is it kind of like an orange pumpkin suit that they used to have on shuttle? It is kind of like the orange pumpkin all right, suit. Cool. I mean, I think, I think the acronym is MACES. Don't ask me what they stand for. It's <laughs> an upgrade from what they had on shuttle. Cool. Um, but it is very similar. So they'll be in the orange um, little pumpkin suits for asking an entry right. with gloves and helmets so if something happens because we can abort at any time during ascent and oh. you land in the ocean so on ascent you'd land in the atlantic ocean and when we re-enter we land in the pacific ocean huh. um so the suits are there for their protection yeah um especially after they land so if they had say something happened and they had to get out of the cabin you've got that full survival suit thing um right. with the built-in i think it's got the inflatable rafts like a life vest in it stuff yeah. like that so yeah so the suits are for their protection in case anything goes wrong they have a bunch of supplies just to keep kind of survive for a little bit just in case something happens i know yeah, yeah. The, the like signal flashing lights right for rescue crews to see them yeah like a that. lot of it's like emergency stuff cool yeah upgraded pumpkin suits and they and you know it's a it's a long mission right you're talking about 20 something days so so they get to take it off after after uh, enter launching i guess before re-entry they don't have it on right they, uh, they, they take, put it back on for re-entry right they put it back yeah. on but they, i mean during that whole time they yeah they so don't they'll put the on. suits on for ascent um and then after we've done tli the translunar injection burn hmm. they'll be able to take them off and oh. and once they get to orbit they can take the helmet and gloves off because once you've shown that the cabin isn't leaking air hmm. um, they can <laughs> they can make themselves a little bit more comfortable right um but there's not a whole lot of time until the tli burn so they'll probably still be in their suits while we actually do the burn and then yeah. once we've done that they'll have time to g actually get out of the suit which takes a little bit of time of to course. wrestle your way out of yeah um, but then for the most part they'll just stow them and hmm. they won't get them back out unless there's a leak or we're back to re-entry and they'll put them on for re-entry how about that yeah that's all you need really need it for right launch and entry so or, yeah launch and re-entry i guess so yeah you're good yeah so we have a, a shirt sleeve environment in the cabin so they'll get to wear your NASA polo shirt and <laughs> pants just like every other crew. Very cool. Yeah. I know, um, I think it's the International Space Station is at 72 degrees, I think is what they try to keep it at. I'm guessing, will Orion kind of be the same? Yeah, it will be about the same. Yeah. Um, and then we have fans and stuff to keep them cool. When they're doing exercise, we'll flip on an extra fan to make sure we're circulating Ooh. that air better and yeah. stuff like that. Maybe so. some air fresheners, too. Uh, <laughs> I don't have any air fresheners, so it's going to be a, a, a... You get used to your own smell, though, right? Oh, so. yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, wow. Okay, so that's pretty good overview of um of you know the inside of orion and you know and when we first started we were talking about a lot of the tests that they were going on and we have different articles for all of these different tests just you know I, one of the big ones that i think we should talk about is one that we've already done and that's eft1 right so what what, what was that mission all about yeah so eft1 which i got to be a part of and was awesome yeah um so technically we mentioned exploration mission one earlier and mm -hmm. talked about that being our first big in space test but it's actually our second mm. um um, so Exploration Flight Test 1 was the first test we did in December of 2014. Mm -hmm. And that one was a test for the crew module and reentry and the parachute system. So we actually launched um, the crew module, which was mostly complete, and just a structural service module. And it launched on a Delta IV Heavy. So it's a commercial rocket. We just put it on there to test it out. And it flew up. We did one orbit in low Earth orbit, and then we used the Delta IV Heavy upper stage to take us as high as it possibly could. We used all the performance that rocket had. So we actually only got up to 3,600 miles huh. in altitude. But what that did is we were able to come back down at 20,000 miles per hour. So uh, uh, we got a, a, as, as fast an entry as we could, and that was to test the heat shield. Yeah. Um, because we've done a lot of analysis and things like that, but until you can actually test and validate that your models were right, you, you're guessing yes. to some uh, extent. Right. Um, and then we did a full parachute test on that too. So basically hmm. we were able to test the, the ascent features. Mm -hmm. We built the crew module for the first time, and you learn a lot just by doing it. Yeah. Um, so building that the first time was a lot of lessons learned on how to make it actually better. And then we tested the full entry 
three sequence. So that means the forward bay cover. We have 11 parachutes, so the forward bay cover came off. We had drogues. We had the main parachutes and touchdown and the recovery team. So Ooh. EFT-1 was our first in-space flight test of the crew module, um, and it was uh, pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, it worked, like, uh, almost completely according to plan. There was only, like, one even minor anomaly um, Huh. So we were really happy with the data we got back on that, and we were able to make a lot of improvements in design as a result. Wow. All right. So, you know, what are some of the lessons that you learned? I mean, you talk about the heat shield and, and parachutes, and uh, you said uh, launching and, and that, that whole sequence, too. So what are some of the things you learned? So um, one of the, the really cool ones was, uh, so in building it, we originally had like 35 metal parts that made up the pressure vessel or 35 welds and a whole bunch of pieces that had to all go together and between the EFT1 and the EM1 crew module we have only seven welds that's done so decreasing the number of welds saves a lot of mass that was like a couple hundred pounds of mass saved because you're doing fewer welds and making bigger parts with fewer seams Ah. so those kinds of production things help teach you a lot yeah um and then we were able to learn a lot like uh, the way some of the systems worked like the uh crew module cooling system we saw some really interesting data and so they were able to update their models with that Hmm. um the parachutes learned a lot um, because that was the first end-to-end flight test they do a lot of drop tests but you can only get certain conditions on those flights and stuff this was the first time it was end-to-end So the models could all be updated and we know more. So a lot of times when we're doing these tests is you're validating the models and then you can reduce the uncertainties that you had to apply. Mm -hmm. So things like the heat shield could maybe get thinner because and we could save some mass because now we know more about the environment so you can you can shave off some of the uncertainties and we can save a little bit of mass so there's those kind of improvements are what we learned out of the flight test. wow is that where you said it was the the heat shields now two inches was it two inches on that flight or did you learn that you can shave it off and now it's two inches uh so now it's two inches i think it was about the same on that flight because we weren't coming same. in quite as fast okay, right, um, right. but that's where we could update the models and reduce some of the uncertainties in what we're doing right. so it, it helps you in future designs right and you save a lot of mass that way that's pretty awesome i can't believe there's 11 parachutes and they come out in it's not like you know you're falling (laughs) through the atmosphere and then boom 11 it's not just like the up balloon house where they all come out at once no (laughs) Uh, no it's a big sequence so for the first the first three parachutes are very small and they would actually pull the forward bay cover off so Hmm. when we've launched you've got a big composite forward bay cover that's protecting all those parachutes from space Mm -hmm. because you have to make sure they don't get too hot or too cold and they're still there when you come home again very important so the first three really pull that forward bay cover away okay and then you put out two drogues and the drogues are used you know are still going really fast um we come out at twenty-four thousand feet of altitude over the ocean so we wait until we're down we've slowed down as much as we can in the atmosphere and you actually start this sequence at 24,000 feet so the forward bay cover comes off yeah the two drogues come out which are smaller and you're using them to sort of stabilize and slow down a little bit more right and those are fired with mortars so it's basically like a cannon cool that sh- blows those a <laughs> boom and there they go and then when you've slowed down enough from those we actually cut them loose and you throw out three pilots So the pilots are actually really small parachutes, but they're pulling out these huge main parachutes. So the big orange and white parachutes you're used to seeing are actually pulled out by three small parachutes themselves. (laughs) And then the bags come off and the big parachutes come out and you have your three main parachutes, the orange and white ones we land on safely. Yeah. And those even have stages because if you opened them up all at once, the forces would tear the parachute apart. Right. So they've actually got a Kevlar um, rings in them and so they they open up only so much and then when you've got enough force you pyro pops those rings and it gets one stage bigger and then another one and then they get fully open Whoa. so you're still going fast enough that you've got to stage that parachute so you don't tear it apart wow. while you're landing so yeah when you finally get them out they could actually cover a football field um the three big parachutes that you've got wow but you're right i mean you're going so fast you don't want to deploy those first thing because that you're right they'll just tear apart right so you got the atmosphere that's your first sort of quote-unquote parachute because it slows you down and then the next parachutes bring out 
you know, just open it up so that more parachutes can come out. I just love how there's parachutes to bring out parachutes. That, I know, that's I think, the best part. That was my favorite. Oh, so, yeah, was... the drogues are small enough that they can be fired with the, the with pyro the charge and yeah. a mortar. Yeah. But the big parachutes, they actually use an autoclave to actually compress them down. And But then there's still these huge bricks, basically, of yeah. parachute material. And, I mean, this is nylon, so it's really lightweight. But when you've got so much of it, right. they end up with this heavy mass. And you can't... There's no amount of, I mean, we don't have a giant cannon. So those have their own parachute just to pull out the main parachutes. That probably, I mean, just the parachute system in general, that's got to be a decent amount of weight for, for coming up and, and going down, too. So that, that takes out a big chunk of what you can use, right? Right. So all these yeah. systems, so we have to, and those we have to take to the moon and back. So, yeah. you know, every time you take it someplace new, that's mass, you have to push around space. Yeah. And that takes more prop and more weight. So the amount, I mean, our most critical mass item is the crew module because mm -hmm. that's all the mass we have to land under those parachutes so if the crew module got super heavy then you'd need even bigger parachutes so yeah. we have to control very tightly how much mass we put on everywhere yeah wow okay <laughs> <laughs> that's just I, I mean that's it's extremely important right i mean what's the what's the benefit of using parachutes versus just like what you see in the movies, just like a propulsion system that fires jets and lets you land on the ground or something like that. That would be awesome. As, yeah, but um, yeah. I, we don't have, you'd need a huge rocket, right? You needed a huge right. rocket to get off the ground, and you'd then need a huge rocket to slow down and do some sort of propulsive reentry. Yeah, there's more weight. Right. Shuttle did it with the, uh, you know, they did aerodynamic reentry where the atmosphere slowed you down, right. and then they had the, the, lifting body so they could actually control their flight and land on a runway yeah i like how you say lifting body and not wings yeah. <laughs> <laughs> those stubby wings they don't yeah. quite work they're not really super wings. well right? yeah just from talking to astronaut pilots that actually flew the shuttle they said it was like flying a brick they, yes. you know it's it really didn't fly it was like barely a glide it's but like it a, did graceful the job. a graceful crash a graceful crash but it landed on a huge runway and stuff like that too so yeah, yeah. i'm what, so, what, yeah oh go ahead and the reason we don't put wings on orion is that's so much mass we'd have to then take to the moon. So right. the wings, the lifting body to try and send that to the moon is heavier than the parachutes we're using to land with. Uh, so that's another trade you have to make. If you want to send a lifting body to the moon, well, now I need an even bigger rocket just yep. to get it there. So yeah. you keep trimming things off and parachutes weigh less than wings. Oh, there you go. Okay. So, uh, you know, obviously there is a logic to it. It's just, uh, you know, as cool as it would be to just land like a Star Wars ship or something, you know, there's, you know, we're not there yet. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the Soyuz does use a retro rocket that um, is just because they land on land. Right. And they have a rocket strapped to the bottom of their heat shield. And at the last minute, it takes off that last bit of speed. Yeah. So you can land on the Earth without hurting the crew. Right. Um, since we are landing in the ocean, it's a design choice that's been made, right? Mm -hmm. We mm -hmm. don't need the retro rocket. So we can land a little bit faster. We're still only going 20 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. So we went from 25,000 miles an hour to 20 miles per hour in 20 minutes. Um, and so, but then we splash down in the ocean, so we don't need the retro rocket like the Soyuz has. Yeah. Okay. So the the you know the design choice of the ocean is you can land faster and you don't need the retro rockets, right? Right. Yeah. So. And then the other part is, I mean, we don't necessarily in the U.S. have a good land landing site where you yeah. wouldn't be overflying, you know, cities and stuff <laughs> right. like that. Um, and you don't want to land in Death Valley or anything like that. Right. And one <laughs> of the problems, and I say if you tried to land in the desert, uh, yeah. one of our issues is if there was a rock oh. and you land on top of a rock, you could actually injure the crew because it doesn't land the same way if you came down on top of a big rock as it did if you came down on a nice grassy plain. Yeah. So those are a lot of the reasons that we went back to landing in water like Apollo did. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, it makes sense. Um, so just kind of thinking about the mission of, of Orion, and I, I know there's like a lot of different tests that we can go over, but we'll we'll have to do another episode for EM-1 <laughs> and like all that kind of stuff, because we can really do a whole other episode just on Oh, we can talk about these. how EM-1 goes together for yeah. a long time. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, kind of just ending on the idea of the, of the mission, you know, like what is the end goal? You know, obviously we have 21-day missions, but you hinted at a, a, a gateway, a, space, a deep space gateway. So what's how does that fit into the Orion picture? Right. So the, um, the big purpose of Orion um, is to be the architecture piece to actually begin uh, – 
a permanent exploration of space. So hmm. Apollo was awesome. I yeah. Mean, no one's going to deny that. We landed people on the moon. Right. But that was all it was designed to do. Mm-hmm. And it didn't really set us up for long-term exploration. Mm-hmm. You know, we didn't have an outpost. We didn't have plans for what to do next. Yeah. Um, but Orion is really, and with the space launch system, you could then launch big pieces where we can start to build an outpost. Um, So we can build a small little mini, mini, mini space station around the moon where we can start doing much more difficult uh, exercises where the crew is out there for months at the moon, where you can't come home within hours from the space station and stuff like that. So it's a more of an engineering challenge on your design. Yeah. And so we can start testing out some of those deep space exploration things. And then longer term, you'll be able to start assembling a Mars vehicle. Yeah. out there so we can start flying the pieces up because to go to Mars that's a two year mission <laughs> so we need a big habitat you need right. a lot of food and a lot of water and big solar arrays so in order to start testing some of those technologies you need for a Mars vehicle Orion can help be a part of that lunar phase of now doing you know the testing and the, the vehicle designs we're going to need for the future so mm-hmm. it's it's really setting the stage for a long term exploration of first you know we we have the space station, which can test a lot of things for the crew. They're testing closed-loop designs. They're oh, doing yeah. a lot of stuff like that. If we start building things out around the moon, we're now challenging ourselves for reliability and vehicle design. And not being able to come home quickly changes yes. your perception a lot on how you design your vehicles. Oh, yeah. And then eventually using that as a staging ground for going to Mars and beyond. Yeah. So that's really the vision of, you know, first... First, you build a big rocket in Orion, and then we can keep building the other pieces to keep going. So Apollo was a focused land on the moon, and that was it. Now we're trying to set the stage for a long-term exploration project. Mm -hmm. And it seems like, I mean, I think, honestly, just from talking with a bunch of different guests on this show, International Space Station plays a huge role in that as well. Like, what we're doing and learning there can be applied to you know like you said this this outpost that's going to be around the moon and then what we do and learn on orion is going to learn for missions beyond because now you're talking about the space camper going around the 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 moon and and having to be able to withstand having a crew there for up to you said three weeks so so well, three know, weeks on Orion, once you've built a little outpost, you can stay for months at a time around the moon. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so it's, it's, you've got to be able to build these pieces one at a time, like right? We don't have mm-hmm. an endless budget. We can't do everything at once, which would yeah. be awesome if we could. But, you know, realistically, we need to make incremental steps. And as Absolutely. long as we're progressing, we're doing something. Yeah. So, I mean, do you think do you think Orion will play a role? I mean, it sounds like Orion's going to play a pretty decent role in this outpost around the moon. Do you think it'll go, do you think it'll play a role in a Mars mission? Uh, absolutely. So you once so? you once you want to go to Mars, you're still going to use Orion to yeah. get to your Mars vehicle. Oh, there you go. Right? And you'll use Orion to get home from the Mars vehicle. You don't want to have to rebuild these things over and over. So really by building Orion, you're going to keep building carbon copies in the future. And we've got some upgrades planned, so it's not going to all be you know, one perfectly carbon copy. But for the <laughs> yeah. most part, you've got your vehicle that safely gets the crew off the Earth and home again. Mm-hmm. And then, so that'll be used for those Mars missions to get the crew to the Mars vehicle. And then you'll go do your Mars mission and then you come home again in Orion. So this yeah. isn't, it doesn't end. Right. Um, Orion, like shuttle, should be a multi-decadal program when it's all said and done and you'll yeah. just keep using it. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I mean, this, it's just so cool to think that, you know, this is our plan. And it sounds like y- you were talking about in there, you know, we already have upgrades planned. You know, this is not the end-all be-all. That we're we're going to have to keep improving. This is how we do it, right? Right. So, so, I mean, the hardest part is getting it to fly the first time. Yeah. And so, right, like I said, we didn't put life support systems on for EM1 because right. there's no crew. So the first obvious upgrade for EM2 is to put the life support system on. And so there's some things like that. You don't want to keep having to update, upgrade Orion, but there's a few things you can do to make it better. If you change the mission design, say you wanted to go to a low lunar orbit in the future, mm-hmm. we'd need to add a sublimator to reject some of the heat because it's actually kind of hot around the moon. Oh, So, you know, there's things we can do and we're sort of protecting for those things so that if 
the changes happen. We don't really know exactly how those future vehicles are going to shape up. You can tweak Orion, and yeah. I wouldn't really so much call it as change Orion as tweaking it right. to make sure it's supporting the missions that you need. So yeah. we were protecting for a few things. We've got some space left so that if you need to add something, there's room to put a few more things on. And so it's just sort of undefined spaces, but mm -hmm. that gives you opportunities to do those tweaks you need. All You're right. not going to fundamentally change the, the shape or the parachutes or the reentry systems, but we have extensible capabilities that you could add on later. Wow. All right. So, I mean, I've asked a couple guests before this, and, and I, I love asking this question. I think it's a good question to kind of end on is, you know, we, we're, we're designing Orion to be a human space exploration vehicle to take humans further out. And we have rovers that are already on Mars, orbiting around Mars, going to different planets. And yeah, that's, that's cool. And, and there's a lot of robotic missions, but why humans? Why, why do we send humans out into explore the solar system? So, I mean, there's the science answer, right? Yeah. You know, humans, robots are awesome, but humans can do what robots are doing within a matter of hours, Yeah. right? You know, a six month rover on Mars, um, could be done in hours to days with humans because they can travel faster, they can see things, they can process things real time. All right. Um, but then there's the humanity answer, right? Yeah. You know, all these things we're doing it is to improve technology and bring humanity together. So mm -hmm. sending people, so having that challenge is a uniting force. Yes. So um, space exploration is still one of the only peaceful activities humans do so i'd like <laughs> to keep it that way absolutely we have an international space station already and even even orion is an international effort right you yes. already said we're working with the european space agency and they have a critical component to make orion possible and can't do it without them we need we need everyone all hands on deck and and you're right, it's for a peaceful mission. So absolutely yeah. love that. Well, Najud, thanks you so so much for, for coming on the show. And I mean, that's a super high level overview, but you know what, that's what more po podcasts are for. More podcast episodes are for going into the details and stuff like that. But that is just, I thought that was a perfect explanation of what Orion is all about. So thank you so much for coming on the show. For those listening, if you want to stay tuned until after the after the music or credits here, we'll, we'll tell you how to uh, follow Orion's mission and, and, and pay attention to the story on social networks and everything. So, Nidhu, thank you so much for coming on. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Hey, thanks for sticking around. So today we talked about the Orion spacecraft with Najud Morancy. And uh, we really honestly just kind of skimmed the surface. I had a lot that I really wanted to talk about with Najud, but we sort of ran out of time. And there's been one of the main things I really wanted to talk about with her today was, uh, you know, just besides the whole Orion thing, I really wanted to go over some of the tests that they've been doing. We'll probably follow up with a, with an episode later uh, about some of those tests. Those tests. But if you want to go to nasa.gov slash Orion and check those out now, there's a lot of them. They had water drop tests and egress tests and parachute tests, launch abort, whatever you want. Actually, we do have a launch abort um, episode coming up here soon. But if you want to check it out, just go to nasa.gov slash Orion. You can find it out now. On social media, they're talking about all the updates and all the cool tests that are going on too on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. On Facebook, it's at NASA Orion. Twitter, at NASA underscore Orion. And on Instagram, it's Explore NASA. All of them are verified, so you can find them pretty easy. But if you want to use the hashtag AskNASA on any one of those platforms and just mention Houston we have a podcast we'll get to one of those uh some of those answers shortly we have a lot of episodes coming up on all different topics so we'll just try to fit that into one of the episodes later so this podcast was recorded on September 13th 2017 thanks to Alex Perryman John Stoll and Rachel Kraft and thanks again to Mrs. Najud Morancy for coming on the show we'll be back next week <laughs>